1: and welcome back to GDC (laughs) and One Life Left uh, live at GDC we're calling it One Life Left cross GDC I think think we should just say
2: at I think uh, because otherwise
1: it just sounds like we're cross with them or they're
2: cross with us Yeah, nobody's cross with anybody Uh, we are delighted to be at GDC we're um, attempting for the first time to uh, play Mario Kart whilst we're streaming And I, I don't know how well this well this is going to go
1: <laughs> I think you can tell how well it's going By the fact that you really struggled to say what you were doing And exactly. that's right in front of you
2: Exactly We've uh,
1: got a packed show coming up today with uh, eight guests
2: Eight brilliant guests um, a, a few guests who've already... Uh, so a lot of our guests this week have, are giving talks uh, at GDC And some of them have already given their talks Or been on their panels uh, yesterday so we're going to hear from them how uh, that's been going, uh, and we're going to be talking to people who have got talks yet to come, uh, and just to find out more about what they're doing at GDC, what they do um, in the industry, uh, and what they are looking forward to. It's really hard playing this, and <laughs> <laughs>
1: I seem to be first, so maybe well, it's that'll nice. be it. Imagine you've just been talking, yeah. so
2: we have, uh, yeah, we've got a brilliant lineup of guests coming on. Did that bit already? Shall we welcome them, Steve?
1: We'll get on with that in just a moment. Uh, but we'll be right back after this
2: uh, Welcome back We are joined by two Our first fantastic guests For uh, Tuesday's show today uh, We are joined by Kate and John uh, So John if you could just uh, Start by introducing yourself um, Just saying what do you do
3: uh, Hi I'm John Yang I'm a board game designer uh, I've done a number of uh, games for, for Fantasy Flight Games Uh, and I'm recently independent. Uh, I'm here to uh, talk on a panel for the state and future of board game design. Uh, Giving my expertise on things like uh, running Kickstarter and like sort of being in the industry and seeing where it might go
2: mm. um, I just have to say when you say recently independent it does sound like someone saying recently single very happy about <laughs> it actually very happy about Fortable. it living my life now yeah. <laughs> so.
3: uh, nah, well I'm I'm doing quite well I'm, uh, I've sort of decided to leave Fantasy Flight mostly because uh, I was getting tired of the cold it's based out of Minnesota you see ah.
4: Ah. and
3: uh, I am now working freelance I've got a number of uh, pretty great projects coming down the pipeline stay tuned <laughs> uh, yeah and it's been really cool yeah it's been kind of nice uh, being able to see the rest of the industry and uh, kind of I've got a strong enough portfolio at this point that uh, things are going all right I'm nice doing pretty good Kate give us a potted bio
0: yeah so um, April 2018 which is next month that will mm. mark my 25th year in the game it's industry and uh, 13 of those was at Microsoft And uh, I have a very strange background. I'm a geographer and a cartographer. And uh, I kind of walked backwards into games (laughs) because I was at Microsoft working on a card encyclopedia. Was I, it a moonwalk? <laughs> <walk>? <laughs> Similar. <laughs> uh, more of a Mars walk. But, uh, um, but yeah, I created an in- internal team at Microsoft that was responsible for helping developers avoid political and cultural issues in their game content. and Well, any content in the company, but um, when the games group got started there, I, f- I worked on pretty much everything Microsoft made, um, from the PC games like MechWarrior and Esheron's Call, to the Halos, Fables, Age of Empires, all of that stuff. Um, I left in 2005, became a consultant, got involved with the International Game Developers Association. Eventually, um, as I was doing my culturalization consulting all this time, I was approached to um, be the executive director of the IGDA. So I did that for five years from 2012 to uh, 2017 because I have a very strong active uh, advocacy part of my personality. I want to see this industry change for the better. And uh, so yeah, I left the IGDA last year, and I'm kind of doing my culturalization work, I'm being an advocate, but I'm also now the executive director of Take This, which is an organization focused on mental health in the game industry, both on the developer and the uh, consumer side.
1: That was a really comprehensive and efficient bio. Yeah. It gives us so many jumping off points, I'm a little overwhelmed.
2: You seem very busy. Is this a yeah. busy GDC for you? It is.
0: I thought that um, not running the IGDA it was going to kind of back off a bit and kind of be like the old days, like 10 years ago, where I could just relax and do whatever I wanted. No, it's not. <laughs> no. It's, it's still quite busy. Lots of meetings. I'm, I'm giving two talks, so I'm the the closing keynote for the uh, Fair Play Alliance Summit, which is tomorrow on Wednesday, and then I'm also giving a talk Thursday afternoon, which is about uh, reclaiming the public narrative about games and game developers.
1: Okay, that's super interesting. I I was saying before the show that um, we go out on a London radio station and we have a lot of listeners who aren't uh, players of video games. I think they might be a bit surprised. That our very first guest is a board
3: game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, ease them in, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I-
1: Talk a bit about the link between board games and video games. Uh,
3: Well, at the end of the day, it really is all game design, right? Mm -hmm. We're all trying to make experiences that players can uh, enjoy together. Mm. Uh, A buddy of mine, Tim Fowers, always says, like, our job as board game designers is really to make software that runs on people. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) You know, and a lot of the same principles apply. The big thing is that uh, there's nothing hidden under the hood where you can hide a lot of things in gaming and like programming and code and you know you have all these wonderful graphics and interfaces that like most of the stuff in games is obfuscated by the cool stuff mm-hmm. uh, whereas in board games it's all like you have to write them a letter on like how to use these <laughs> cards and bits that you've given them and uh, so it's all uh, often a very good way for uh, new designers or people sort of getting into the industry to get a real sense of what uh, what game design really is at a fundamental level and what the, your basics are. It's really good for mastering fundamentals. And from there, there's just so much cool stuff you can do with people and with, you know, cardboard and shits. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And how, how much, uh, when you're designing board games, how much do you have to take into consideration uh, interpersonal relationships when playing board games? Because a lot of video games can be played just by yourself, um, but board games, as far as I've ever played them, have all been played in a group or n- never just by myself. And so how much do you have to consider those sort of in relationships? The way
1: you talk about the, the metaphor about um, you know, software running on people, mm-hmm. it's hard enough getting a game running <laughs> on multiple systems. You have so many different operating systems for people that that must be hard to
3: design for. Yeah, it is pretty tricky. Um, a lot of it is uh, relying... There are certain systems that some people can use. I know uh, a lot of the games I've designed, including like Star Wars Imperial Assault, which... Uh, involved a one-versus-many style Mm -hmm. where one player sort of acts as a game master and they actually Mm -hmm. uh, retain the bulk of the rules and the rest of the players each play individual heroes. It's kind of an asymmetrical game.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Similar things in video games where uh, I think they were there was a Fable game with a similar setup Mm -hmm. that didn't actually end up coming out, unfortunately. God, I was super excited about that. (laughs) Um, But uh, games like Evolve also play Mm -hmm. with a similar uh, concept to that but oftentimes in board games you have like the one person who's teaching everyone the game and who kind of goes in ahead of that and then sort of makes the experience for their players uh and so a lot of our design is like okay we want to make sure that this is teachable right mm-hmm. uh and there's been a lot of really awesome stuff on like youtube and like streams and stuff of people making how to play videos and like uh just being like hey guys just before we come hang out just watch this like 10 minute video and you'll get this sense of how to play right mm-hmm. and then you know when we get into it we'll just yeah, have a good time. This designing for multiple audiences obviously speaks to what you
1: do with yes, geography,
0: right? absolutely. Because I mean, that that's really the focus of what I call culturalization work. Is I'm helping the developer um you know they're they're following their creative vision doing what they want to do and my job is to basically intercede and say you know that design's not going to work in this country and here's why or that particular content element or that symbol or using that gesture or whatever it might be might not meet the local expectations in terms of sensitivity you know, and of course, developers will say, well, I want to do what I want to do. And I'm like, that's cool. My job is to tell you what's going to happen <laughs> when your game releases so, and to inform you of what the consequences are going to be. Sometimes the consequences might just be some you know, backlash on social media. Other times it might be consumers approaching the government saying, this needs to go away. And worst case scenario, of course, is when the government approaches you and said, you are going away. <laughs> you know, we're banning your game and here's why. And um, a lot of developers, sometimes, if they don't have experience in the international space, they shrug it off. All right, so what? It's like, well, the next time you release your game, Usually governments remember that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh yeah, you were the guys that sent that game that really p us off. That's great. You're never coming here again.
1: Are there any specific sort of anecdotes you can talk to us about or is it all?
0: No, there's there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of public domain. I mean, uh, just to give one example of what is involved with a culturalization example. So in, in the original Age of Empires, there was a scenario, you know, because Age of Empires was based on a lot of real history. But it was obviously generalized. So there was one scenario from the Middle Ages where the, uh, the Yamato's from Japan invaded the Korean Peninsula and basically took over the Choson Empire, for the most part, almost. And so that's what we represented in the game, because that's what historians say happened. Well, we send the game over, it releases in Korea. The Korean Ministry of Information said that never happened. Oh. So we're like, hmm, okay, so what, what did happen? So we opened up a dialogue with them to get their perspective. And they're like, well, what actually happened is that we invaded Japan. Like, okay, well, there's no, there's no historical evidence of that, but that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, but what it led into was a much broader discussion about the nature of truth mm-hmm. and ethics of, of changing history and all that kind of discussion, as well as business strategy. So one of the things that we knew from mar- from market research is that real-time strategy games were very popular in Korea. And if you know your game history, a year later, 1998 is when Starcraft came out in Korea, mm-hmm. and that became a national phenomenon as an RTS game. So, um, so we knew RTS games were popular, and that's what Age of Empires is. So we said we need to release this game. So we basically, uh, through a long set of uh, discussions, r- decided to release a patch only for the Korean players that changed history <laughs> for that scenario, so that the Chosen Empire invaded Japan, and. Uh, You know and that was a bit controversial on the team because they're like this is crazy but i had to remind them when we were working on Encarta encyclopedia at microsoft a few years earlier in the italian and french versions of the encyclopedia they had different heights for mont blanc because the governments didn't agree on the height of the mountain so it's basically some people say well that's censorship it's propaganda it's like well it on one level it is, let's be honest. The mm-hmm. Korean government, that's propaganda that they, they're saying we were never invaded. But on the other layer, it's that's the local expectation, that's mm-hmm. the information kind of bubble they live in, and so you either service that, or you don't. And mm-hmm. you have to decide what you want to do as a game developer.
1: It's one of mm-hmm. the interesting things about Wikipedia, I guess, a single point <laughs> of view which yeah. often is edited to I have, I have violent distaste for cucumber. <laughs> to me it tastes the worst thing in the world. And you know, it's, it's a section of the world, which I would call the sophisticates, who also agree with me, in this sense. but you know, a great deal of the world thinks it just tastes of water. Yeah. And if you look at the entry for cucumber on on, on on you know going to taste, it's written in this painful language, which is like <laughs> some people think that it tastes of poison. Yeah, there
0: is often no objective truth to these right, things. Right, exactly.
2: Uh, John, you've got a, uh, you're doing a panel this week uh, about yep. the state and future of board games. that Yep,
3: right? that's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's actually uh, tonight. Uh, Great. Yep. Yeah, I'm super excited about that.
2: What are you going to be covering on it?
3: Uh, so we've got a big variety of things. There's been a lot of uh, shake-ups in the industry in the last couple of years, uh, particularly the advent of app-integrated board games, hmm. which are board games with a digital component. Uh, games like The New Mansions of Madness uh, which formerly was a one versus many asymmetrical game, is now a fully cooperative game that has a you know digital app that you use to kind of control all the enemies and to kind of lay out the scenarios uh, and all sorts of games like that are coming out World of Yoho, there's a whole bunch of those um, the sort of now stabilizing of Kickstarter, for many years people were worrying that Kickstarter, with you know, like, was a bubble that was going to burst, hmm. uh, and people have been saying it was going to burst year after year after year, and now it's like, okay, maybe it's just a way that we monetize now.
1: I mean, it certainly seems that way for board games. For board games. video games, it's a little more difficult. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, And uh, just other things like the rising issues of uh, board game piracy, which is not something we were expecting, Hmm. would be a thing. Mm. But now there's like so many uh, Chinese factories are now producing uh, counterfeit board Mm -hmm. games uh, that are sold on the cheap and it's hard for consumers to like know the difference. Hmm. Uh, And it's it, there's a lot going on and uh, a huge part of it is also going to be Q&A so we'll see what questions people have about the future as well
1: you're working on a game at the moment aren't you as well
3: uh, I'm, I've got uh, three projects in the pipe and I'm currently kind of hustling for a uh, Kickstarter project mm. we launched a while back and is finally kind of existent okay. uh, called Bargain <laughs> Quest uh,
1: uh, so we we looked at Bargain Quest and it's a item shop game yep but, right yep and I've seen those in video games before, but <laughs> mm-hmm. never in board games. Is this is the first board game item shop
3: game. Um, to my knowledge, I okay. think it might be That's a yeah, good answer. which is <laughs> a game about running uh, an item shop in like an RPG town, mm-hmm. um, and sort of we've implemented a lot of uh, drafting and blind bidding elements. Mm-hmm. Where a big part of the game is you know heroes have come to fight a monster, uh, and they like they have money. And need your gear. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to put stuff in your window to draw them into your shop Mm -hmm. naturally, and the better stuff in your window, the better that is. Mm -hmm. But whatever you put in your window is for display only and can't (laughs) be sold. And that just leads to a lot of very funny and interesting decisions. Um, And it's just sort of this angle on playing this story, right? Because everyone knows the classic RPG. Oh, particularly video gamers Mm -hmm. know the RPG thing of you know you go to town, buy some potions and some gear, go fight the monster. You know, that cycle. Mm-hmm. With this, you are playing the non-player characters, right? You are playing the shopkeepers, and you hire employees, and it's your problem if the heroes aren't well-equipped enough to deal with the monster, because then it attacks town, and you're like, "Oh man, they destroyed my display, and, you know, they killed my sales clerk. Oh that's so expensive, you know? Um, and uh, that has always been just, uh, that angle on these stories has always really tickled me.
1: We've talked, we've talked about how board games and video game design share a lot, and board games, I think, have uh, influenced video game design. Have you been influenced by games, specifically perhaps item shop video games?
3: Uh, yeah, A lot of people make the comparison to uh, Reciteer, or mm-hmm. Receteer, I suppose, which is a uh, video game about running an item shop, which has a very similar... You know, kind of angle on it, um, and absolutely, like we really enjoyed that game. Uh, mechanically, there's uh, not much mm-hmm. similar, though. Like um, we do draw a lot of ideas from the digital space, uh, particularly in games like uh, our Star Wars Imperial Assault and a um, game that I designed, which was the Doom board game, oh. which was you know based on the 2016 yeah. Doom IP, uh, where a huge amount of it was like, okay, what do we do to make it uh, give get that visceral feeling, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know, high octane action isn't what most people think of when they think of <laughs> really slamming those cards down. <laughs> yeah, <not laughs> really. And I mean, you know, it, it ended up with like things as simple as like uh, moving into an enemy space knocks them off the board mm-hmm. is like the glory kill mechanic. <laughs> and like, you know, when you were a kid and you would like take a pawn in chess, you'd always really take pleasure in just <laughs> slapping it off the board. And so we were just like, let's just yeah, let's make that part of it, and let's you know uh, find the the links, the emotional links between uh, these kinds of experiences. And yeah, it's been uh, we're constantly learning from each other, and that's my favorite thing about coming to GDC is that I always leave it like invigorated with a lot of new ideas, a lot of cool mm. concepts. Mm.
2: Yeah, Kate. What's your favorite thing about coming to GDC? Well, it's
0: it's you know it's always seeing people you know that's a big part of it because it is a family reunion mm-hmm. and it really feels that way. And the longer you're in the industry, the more it feels that way. And so it's really cool, especially if you're there's people that you've known for you know 10, 15, 20 years and you keep seeing them at GDC. And sometimes you only see them mm-hmm. at GDC, so you come to really value that time to catch up with them. Um, but but you know like like Jonathan said, the learning part of course is the big part of it. I mean for me, I. I don't go to as many sessions anymore because I'm usually too busy. <laughs> usually the only sessions I'm in are the ones that I'm actually in. That I'm doing. Oh, hey, um, you got the vault. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. That's right. So there's the GDC vault. So what I do after GDC is, I mean, when I work, I typically stream stuff. So I just stream vault talks and that's really great to kind of catch up. So. Um, You know, but it's also just kind of catching wind of like, what's going on? What are the trends? What are people talking about? I mean, we we all kind of are in that space anyway, throughout the year, but at GDC, it kind of reaches kind of a fever pitch moment. And um, it, it's really fun. Thank, thank you both
1: so much for coming on the show. You've been brilliant first guests. I'm not going to say like it's only going to get better from here. I know. <laughs> <we can. laughs> I also don't want to say we've peaked. That <laughs> a very difficult situation. I think we're
2: ju- just going to have to try and ride this
0: just
1: yeah just keep for it as it. Long as, keep as long it as, it as we can. Yeah. Uh,
2: um, but thank you so much, guys. Thank, thank you, you
0: guys. Thanks very yeah. much.
2: Welcome back. We are one life left, and we are live at GDC, um, and we are joined on the sofa by Chris, our wonderful colleague from Gamma Sutra.
5: Hello, Why Chris. Are you are
2: late?
6: late. Yeah,
5: <laughs> 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 I was late. I was. I was actually playing um, Xbox games. <laughs> 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 I was. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So what yeah. An excuse. This, yeah. I
2: feel like this is one of the only places that you could use that. Exp- excuse and get away with it yeah
5: yeah no i I went and played uh idea xbox was doing a thing and they're just showing a bunch of their games on the xbox one x x yeah so a bunch of
7: people
5: (laughs) 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 buying out 4k (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i actually played a bit of below um, jonathan below (laughs) yeah it's braid too by jonathan below So it it was nice. Okay. Yeah, I, That's I should review. Under, it's all it's all under embargo though. It's, uh, I can't. I can't. Don't, call it. don't I can't please. But but I can't. But I can say this that it's the best most hypnotic 4K grass that I've ever seen. <laughs> That's not, that sounds like that sounds like weed like. 4K 4K we're in San Francisco yeah so yeah it's like just go to the Spencer and get that uh, We girls.
2: are also joined by two two <laughs> wonderful guests who weren't late yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have Anna and Gabby um, Anna perhaps you could just introduce yourself what what do you do to do with games
7: uh, right my name is Anna and I work at Dyzed. We're making a app that helps people learn how to play board games. So before, you would usually have to read the whole rule book to play a board game, and now with our app, you can just get right into it. You don't have to read anything. It's like a friend at the table there who will take you through the game. Fantastic. And, yeah. and
8: Gabby? Sure. So I'm a Toronto-based independent game developer and one half of Laundry Games. We made a game called, um, a game called The Mortician's Tale, which came out last year. And when I'm not making games with Laundry Bear, I also freelance as a game artist. So I worked on a game called Celeste, which came out in January. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on a game called Parkitect right now, among a few other things. So, Those yeah. are good games. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so you are, um, Gabby, you're talking about death. Yeah. in relation to a mortician's tale um, uh,
8: so what was what is the title of the talk that you're so I gave it yesterday, yesterday. Yeah. which is great because now I'm like a lot less stressed <laughs> and my week is a lot better uh, it was called a mortician's tale a different view on how we treat death in games and basically it was about the development of, uh, development of our game and also just how we use death in video games and kind of how indies are um, changing it up and doing different cool things with it and kind of some tips on how people can better use death in their own games so
5: that's some tips, like, please.
8: Sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah.
5: laughs> what, what were some tips that you gave?
8: Uh, a lot of it is just like, do your research <laughs> uh-huh. and make sure you're being accurate and respectful with the subject matter. But a lot of it also is like, finding the best mechanics for your game and best narrative for your game. So not always defaulting to, you know, using a life system or health bars, not all games need those. And so sometimes it's better to kind of think about what is best for your games, right? So like, you know, and even just thinking about if death is necessary in your games. So, like, Animal Crossing doesn't really need a combat system, you know, or, like, death.
5: <laughs> or does it? Um, <laughs>
8: or does it, yeah. see that goes. Or, you know, like, even thinking about um, Call of Duty 2, they kind of innovated on... Um, how damage is shown. So instead of using a health bar, they just use the. Now, we use it a lot now in a lot of different games, but they were the first ones to use the kind of like red vignette to show mm-hmm. when damage was happening. And instead of it kind of being a consistent number, it like we would revive after a while. And that was mm-hmm. kind of a very innovative thing at the time. And now everybody kind of does That's actually it, how so.
5: I physically, physiologically work when I'm damaged. <laughs> you see the, the red blotches just around me, and then I just have to stop for a second. And
8: then it goes away. Yeah. It goes away,
1: and I, I just keep going. I've always <laughs> thought it's kind of crazy. Crazy in, in video games, that like death is so trivial. It's just a thing that happens almost all of the time that we actually had to invent a new word for death that means something in permadeath. Mm. It's like no, no, this is this is real this time. <laughs> this is actually a reset on your um, on your game. I have a question right. about uh, board <laughs> games, or, or, or I have a, a, a sort of deep love for what you're doing because I. Uh, did a Kickstarter a few years ago for a card game, and immediately faced the problem that you're trying to solve, I think, which is uh, the card game was karaoke card game. It's intended to provide some kind of structure and fun sort of curve, Mm -hmm. a path for a karaoke session. Uh, But the first problem we came up against was, right, it has to begin with everyone (laughs) sat there reading a rule, which is the last thing you want to do. We have like a
7: chart at work where it's, beginning the game, the beers are out, yeah, let's play, rule book. <laughs> it just goes down. Uh, so the fun curve is very, like, steep there. <laughs>
1: um, and the way we, we ended up addressing it seems to be similar to how you did. We said, okay, we're going to put one player in charge of it, make them read the rules. And yeah. then they just become The kind of host, and they say, Okay, you guys go that now, start singing. That's That's what we
7: see a lot in board game groups. Um, One person will play the game Mm -hmm. by himself, and then they'll (laughs) read the rule book, and then they'll read it again, watch it, watch it, watch like let's play of the game, Mm -hmm. and then they'll start the game with their friends, which is a huge waste of time. It's an entertainment product Mm. where you're not being entertained.
5: So so, how does how does it work? I, I don't get like exactly how, <laughs> in practical terms, like it's
7: magic. No. <laughs> okay, it's magic. so it's an app that you just put on the table, and it will tell it will take you through your first game. So it just tells you everything. You can be a novice board game player, like it's your first time. Here's how you punch out the like the tokens. You can throw this out; it's okay. Yeah. And then it'll take you through like the first couple actions, saying like, "Oh, here's your choices now. Would you like to do this or this?" And then you mm. press, "Okay, I'd like to do this," and it'll tell you that action. Um, and then the next time you want to do it, it'll only tell you like a, a small amount of information. So it only tells you the things you need to know now, and it only like it doesn't bog you down with too much stuff. A lot of people teach games wrong. <laughs> uh, They'll tell you everything you need to know, and that's not what we want. to
5: do. I, I am the target audience for this <laughs> yes, kind of thing. Absolutely, I, I like fit famously among my friends. Like I don't like uh, they say like oh like. Chris hates playing cards. It's like, I don't hate playing cards. I hate learning a new yeah. game.
2: And,
1: um, I want to do it, so. But that's yeah. true of, of video games as well, isn't yes. it? The number of games yeah. that I have thought, oh, I'd really like to play that, and just can't mm-hmm. face the first hour of the game yeah. because it's teaching me new systems.
2: This is what I've had with, uh, I think I was trying to play Call of Duty a while, of, a while back, and because they assume so much knowledge, The time it took me to go back and figure out what on earth any of the buttons were doing, and then I forgot them because there are so many, and I just didn't care, so I stopped. Yeah, and I think you want to make it so that people don't stop. Yes, we want to make it super
7: entertaining to 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 play a game for the first time. So we have like animations, voiceover, everything is like really cool and in 3D, and it really makes you get into the game because we actually have our own soundtracks that our audio guys making. For these games that you're playing. So it really makes you feel immersed in the board do, game. Do
5: you, do you have
1: um, an app to help and play
5: Call <laughs> yeah. of <or> Duty? <do> you-
1: <laughs>
7: That's our next thing.
1: <laughs> well, I, I wonder, is this something that can be extended to basically Removing the god awful tutorial sections from video <laughs> games. Did you say tutorial? Tutorial. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's good. we we'll just
7: coined that. Yeah. Out. No, uh, I used to work in in social games, and I hated tutorials mm-hmm. um, that told you there were tutorials. So it's com- completely different, I think, for video games. Video games have a lot. It's easier to make a tutorial for them in some ways because you know all the information. Board games for their app, you don't really know what the player is doing. Like the app can't magically see yet. Mm-hmm. What you're doing? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot more user um, interactivity there.
1: So Chris and I are big fans of neologisms, like efficiency in language. Mm-hmm. So tutorial being tutorial, an example. Yeah. Parkitect. Yeah. Tell me about that. Guy.
8: Uh, I guess it's a, a play on like theme park architect. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Perfect.
8: So it's been in early access for a while. I'm just going on to do some of the art for it. Mm-hmm. But it is a theme park simulation game. so kind of like Rollercoaster tycoon, but a lot more of the like business management, you know, having where, where does your staff walk? Is there underground pathways they're going through? like really thinking about the management part of this? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, i need this in my life this. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's in early access, but it's coming out sometime this year, hopefully, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, how is
2: it coming into a game to work on the art? which is obviously like such a key thing that people identify with the game. But are you, are
8: you involved from the very, very beginning or are you brought on a bit later? Or does it change from project to project? Yeah, it kind of it kind of depends. So for a game like Celeste, I was brought on as the 3D artist when they didn't have anything to begin with. So it's kind of like, okay, let's figure out what art style goes best with this game. That was kind of an interesting one because the game has a lot of pixel art and also like high res art. And then it was like, okay, we want like a low-poly 3D thing. So I was try- trying to match a style that doesn't already exist in the game. So that was kind of an interesting challenge. But the game like Parkitect, or a lot of games where I come on kind of midway during development, it's matching their style and making sure that I'm being consistent with what's with, with, with already there. So
5: Celeste is such a good-looking game, Thank you. by the way. <laughs> yeah. But um, so how is Parkitect going to handle death?
8: Well, <laughs> <laughs> So from the get-go, and again, I came on kind of like mid-development, there was no death. And so if you like made a really dangerous roller coaster, people would just disappear. And I was like, no, listen, <laughs> <laughs> we need ghosts at the very minimum. <laughs> there, there needs to be some sort of death on this. And so they ended up adding in ghosts. And I think they are doing some other stuff too.
5: But Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that. This is like your niche. <laughs> you so have to, it. yeah.
1: Are the ghosts, are they adorable ghosts?
8: They're really cute. Of course. You don't feel but bad about that, killing people. does
1: incentivize <laughs> you to... Like create more
5: ghosts. Yes. Okay. Do they have to pay admission again to get back in, park, or how does that work from a managerial standpoint?
7: Is there like a second meta game where you have like a uh, ghost now? Ghost
5: park. Ghost ghost park? park.
2: <laughs> oh, it's a sequel. Uh, Anna, what are you? Uh, you're on a panel. Yes. Is and it's the board game. Yeah, I'm on a panel
7: with Jonathan, who was just here. Yeah, but, yeah. And so it's about the future. Yeah. Uh, of board games. What, uh, do you know what you might be talking about? Well, from my point of view, it'll be how we learn games and how accessible games are to people. Because right now, it's it's a very... Uh, there's, there's a hurdle to get into games, and that's the rule book. For example, Gloomhaven, which I love, this game, it has a 50-page rule book, which is wow. like a small novel. Um, <laughs> so we struggled to get into it. But once we did, it was great. And I really want my mom to play it. But she won't because of the fifty-page rule book. So I really want to make games accessible, and that's I think what the future of board games is going to be.
5: That's, that's interesting. Like just talking to like Zach Barth, the Space Chem guy. Like aside from his Corpse game, like he has to do like Space Chem, not. But like he, they have one game. that's doing the exact. I mean, the, his games do the exact opposite. Like Shinjin Io. Has a PDF that you print out that you instructions how to make it a binder. It's like the employee <laughs> manual kind of thing. And then, yeah, and then it, it, it's almost like he just expects players to. What what he said in our in our chat this week was that like I like you can't play my game and suck, like I demand excellence <laughs> <laughs> from you, so it's a completely different kind of I think of there's take. space
7: for both. Like yeah. there there should there should be games that experiment with rule books and do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But games shouldn't be inaccessible just because you don't have the time or the resources. Or uh, maybe you're dyslexic or something and just mm-hmm. can't read the rule book. Yeah. You should everyone should be able to play board games. Yeah. Uh so Gabby, you have
2: Done your talk. What are you hoping for the rest of the week from GDC?
8: Uh, it's pretty busy for us because we're nominated for an IGF. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Congratulations. So we have that, uh, we have to set up today, but we have that going on for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the Expo Hall, mm-hmm. and then the award show is tomorrow. So there's a bunch of that kind of stuff. Um, and then just looking forward to Day of the Doves tonight, which I'm really excited about, mm-hmm. <laughs> and other cool events. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, really. Well, it's so nice of you to come on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having
8: me. Um,
7: yeah, thanks for having Good you. luck thanks. for the rest of the week. Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you.
1: We're back. Halfway through the show.
2: Yeah. How do you think it's going? Pretty well. I'm so happy that we realised very early on that it's really, really hard playing a game and interviewing people at the same time. So we've just mm-hmm. stopped.
1: We do that at the start we and do it at the end. at the start and the end. Play a little bit Mario Kart, but during the show, serious business, just talking. Serious
2: business. Very serious business with our serious guests. Uh, so we're joined by Louise <laughs> and Brendan. Hi guys. Uh, could you perhaps uh, tell our audience... What you do and who you are. <laughs> you always uh, you shake green. your head. Yeah. And say, what you <laughs> do? What, what are you doing? Do? <laughs> are you, are you doing? Uh, uh,
4: well, I'm a indie developer from Guatemala. I'm pr- working on a new title for PC, and I'm came here to GDC to give my f- first talk ever. Well, first GDC talk ever.
2: And you said earlier that you are the first uh, person from Guatemala to give a talk at GDC.
4: Yes, that that, that is correct. Fantastic. We have like. I would say emerging wouldn't be appropriate because we, don't, we haven't reached even that stage right now. We're <laughs> learning magic. to make le- games right now, and I'm currently in the process of learning how to maybe make money off of games. So how do you know that you're the first, first one? Did you ask? Because... Uh, everyone? There's not many of you guys? There's not many of us. It's <laughs> basically that. It's like, alright, I know that Juan and Luis haven't gone there, so yeah, maybe I am the first one. <laughs>
5: Nice, nice.
4: Well, well like, what's, what's your talk about, real quick,
5: before uh, we move on? Yeah, this,
4: this uh, wrestling storytelling. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's storytelling in wrestling. <laughs> and uh-huh. the talk was about applying those techniques into video games okay. and how we did that with our current game.
1: I'm right. super excited to learn more about that. Um, Wait, is this a. Wrestling
2: conference? <laughs> <Or> yeah. <laughs> this is the wrestling. This is uh, the wrestling track.
4: Yeah, wrestling the, wrestling, the wrestling track. track. <laughs>
6: <laughs> All right, Brendan. Uh, introduce I'm, yourself. I'm Brendan Green, or Player Unknown, and I'm creative director on PUBG. Um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, and I'm here to give well one talk and on one panel uh, later in the week.
1: Tell us about the talk.
6: So I'm giving sort of it's more personal sort of history of my journey to from modder to creative director and how I didn't make games and now I do make games and sort of some of the insights I've learned about it myself. Um, yeah.
2: And the panel that you're on is about uh, the billion players.
6: Yeah. So it's improbable who make this marvelous tech called Spatial OS. So it like. Uh, enables massive worlds like massive and it's talking about these massively open worlds and how we can populate them or tell stories within them so I'm excited about that because open worlds are really my thing
2: yeah I found that um just as a title quite fascinating because I'm very interested in numbers that you just can't understand a billion I can't can't, like individualize a billion anything oh yeah I mean how does it how is it knowing how many players are playing your game can you individualise them in your head are you, or are no. they just like I don't know they're <laughs> don't just out there <laughs> they're in the
5: are in the cloud, in the cloud. Uh,
2: yeah so uh, you're, uh, the talk that you're giving is uh, sort of more personal
6: yeah I mean it's it's like yeah just telling my journey and how I got to where I got and like how I kind of have created a genre in gaming so that's kind of it's yeah it's telling my story and and how it was influenced along the way. So you
1: used to uh, make mods that's right Uh, you know a lot of people listening to the radio show won't know what a mod is and the difference between that
6: and a game. A mod is basically you get someone else's game and add either new content or new rules to the game or or try to make it different in some way and Mm -hmm. with me I just essentially added a a game mode to a pre-existing game.
1: Because I think as well a lot of people think that the only way to Create a video game. The you know, the traditional way is like, oh, you've got to be a comp sci nerd, you've got to know all the language. Mm-hmm. You go in there and you're gonna be in front of a computer for six months and you're gonna be programming and mm-hmm. then da
4: da it, it
1: arrives.
5: But that's ta-da. not yeah. That's <laughs> how <laughs> you don't even know do it's done.
1: It's
4: about getting that ta-da moment yeah. right. <laughs> 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 right. Yes. That's <laughs>
1: Is there a tada moment? I mean, no. The That's not when how works. games are made these days, is it?
6: No, I mean, like, for me, uh, part of my talk is going to be saying how how good it is to mod, because... Mm. Especially for realistic games, ARM is a wonderful tool to to test your ideas. Basically, and go, okay, does this game mode work? Do people enjoy it? And then, because even I looked at Unreal and went, oh, how, <laughs> like you know, like making a game from scratch is really hard. Like, I mean, it's why a lot of games fail because it's hard making games. It's it's not the easiest thing. So, modding for me was a, a very much an easy way to get into making it. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, it's time to talk about wrestling. All right. (laughs) It's the wrestling (laughs) tracking
4: tracking (laughs) unit.
1: You say that wrestling storylines and the storytelling within (laughs) wrestling applies to video games. Tell us a little
4: bit more about that. Well, actually, we wanted to incorporate some dialogues for games similar to fighting games dialogues at the end of the round. Mm -hmm. But we didn't want to pick random catchphrases for each one because we thought that that might get boring or we couldn't write that many. Right. (laughs) Uh, so I'm a big fan of Japanese wrestling, okay. and the interesting thing about it is that it's still treated as if it were a sport. Mm-hmm. So they, at the end of each match, they will address the media. This is something similar to an NFL coach addressing the media after a game. And I was watching that, and it's like, you know what? This is really cool. Maybe we could use, like, translate that into a game. Like maybe a round is a match, and the dialogue could be the characters giving an interview. So I started researching wrestling storytelling and I was like, holy man, whole I mean, there's a lot of techniques that are there to tell stories in wrestling that could be applied not only to games but to many areas. Now, it's not like they're inventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. It's just like I found it amazing that do this, this, and this, and this, and that's enough to tell a compelling story.
5: What's this, 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 and this? <laughs> well, <laughs>
4: the, In stories, you, can, you have characters promos, ring psychology, and angles. Mm-hmm. So first, for a character, they say, well, keep it simple. Bring it from within yourself. Do something that you're familiar with. That's going to be your gimmick. Because that way, your actions will flow naturally. Mm-hmm. When it comes to promos, it's like, don't overthink things. Just say what... Just think of something that you deeply believe in and amplify it. Okay. Uh, ring psychology, I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's actually telling a story in a ring. And usually how it's done in wrestling is that you, let's say I have a finisher that targets your knee. So I'm going to be attacking your knee, attacking your knee, attacking your knee, so that if, when I apply that finisher, I can win. Clever. I, um, I get that. And and the, this, I have weak knees. <laughs> <laughs> and angles is just, all right, think long-term. Plan ahead, because a good angle in res- angle is are stories in wrestling, and a good one usually takes up to months to a year, if impossible years mm-hmm. in my talk I talk about the Tanahashi versus Okada story that took them 4 years to the way develop
1: nothing <stories>. yeah
5: that yeah. <laughs> story
4: basically I I
5: am only now realizing that I've been living my life as a wrestler like I, like I fall right into it's like a you know amplify uh, mm-hmm. Something you believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, weak knees.
1: Weak knees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Target the knees. <laughs> any really any joints. What am I yeah, talking? Yeah. Taking from this. Um so one sort of way of looking at storytelling. The storytelling in your game is very different, like and human driven, but so yeah,
6: yeah, yeah, it's a blue circle right. that drives the story. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and it's created. That's why, like, I. We want to build worlds mm-hmm. you know to let you fight in basically and that that you tell the story the story is different every time and i think that's why it's very replayable because it always finishes different or you never play the same game twice right mm. um, and i think that's one of the the best things about the genre in general is that most of the battle royale games out there are the same where it always kind of ends differently
1: Right, and, and the anecdotes become personal mm. in that like I've played loads of narrative driven video mm. games these days, but I would not go to the pub and say I've gotta tell you what happened in Final Fantasy last night no, like, this no, person no. hit this person, it was incredible. Whereas I'll happily explain on our radio show how mm. I played PUBG, I lay down in a bathtub, couldn't get out, <laughs> like was there for eighteen minutes, the circle closed around <laughs> me, I came I came sixth and it's the best I've ever done <laughs> it was a glorious moment
6: and everyone loves it because it's personal right yeah it's a very water cooler moment yeah. kind of game where I go to conventions and, and conferences and talk to like game devs and, and fans that they're just are waiting to tell me their story right yes. and just like you know it's like <laughs> oh this happened this is crazy and I did this and yeah and is there, and there a story over? in particular that like No, I mean, I saw one online, which I just remember, which was a guy was spectating his friend and he was getting shot at. And your man says, use the pan. He pulls out the pan and he swipes it and it blocks a bullet coming from his head. And then he gets behind a tree and heals himself. And it's just amazing. He's just like, yes, you know, it's praise the pan. Uh.
2: Do do any of these stories that people tell you uh, change the way you approach Developing the game or or changing those.
6: not really. Yeah. I mean, like we listen to feedback on on how like weapons feel and, and but we like do a lot of the balancing, for example, on data. And we have mountains of data that we analyze for everything. But you know, really, it, because the game is, I hesitate to say random because it's not really that random. It is random, but it's random within limits, and uh, we do a lot to make sure that it feels fair. But you know, it's yeah, it's. Uh, Trying to tell stories with that randomness, you know, is hard. But it's good that the users tell them themselves, really. One of
1: uh, our friends came on the radio show back in London and pitched uh, Nick Nick Faldo's battle
6: golf. <laughs> it, but it can work in so many like the like, like, like paladins battlegrounds are coming out you right. know and, and Fortnite came out or and not, all these other Fortnite. battle royals. Yeah. Oh, no, no. And, like you know I always thought like a medieval battle royale would be cool or you know something with mm-hmm. magic and spells and stuff like this and you know there's so many just that last man standing 100x dropped on an island there you go ah, like, it like it, that's a thing and it just average increasing how, circle. How,
5: how do you how do you feel about the influence that I said? You mean you, you did create you, you know this this genre and you know um, how, how do you feel about other places? Uh, some closer than others like taking that idea and I just
6: want like it to be different every time because that helps the the genre grow right I mean if everyone's just doing carbon copies it kind of gets a bit boring right. mm-hmm. everything's the same game but you know I'm happy that it's growing and, and you know it's getting more exposure to like mainstream public that more and more people are seeing like gaming as something fun to do
1: uh, just to return to you in Guatemala for a second like yeah. we, we, you talked about how you know you think you're the first person who's ever spoken here and that at the moment the gaming industry where you're from is in a kind of nascent, yeah. pre-emerging state. How does coming somewhere like GDC uh, influence game development in your country?
4: Well, I think it influences the people that come here mm-hmm. because uh, for us this is like a life-changing experience Like when you first come here because you have to understand that we're a small group. We're usually at the same level, all of us, learning how to use Unity or Unreal or whatever engine we can get our hands on. And when you come here, you're meeting all these people that are actually in the industry. Because I always joke that people like Tim Schafer and all those guys for us are basically mythological creatures <laughs> because we never get a chance to meet them. They don't, they're never going to go to Guatemala because, well, we're not, not because they don't want to go, but because we're not calling them or anything like that. So when we you come here and you realize first how big this industry is, Second, it's a really humbling experience because usually we come here and we have like this little mobile game that we did and we're so proud because we actually got a game in the app store and you come here and holy... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Tim Schafer is a mythological. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, he
4: exists.
6: But so, so yeah. I met Tim and didn't know who he was. Uh, I met him with Danny O'Dwyer uh, outside yeah. Pax West. So I like, oh "This is Tim." I was like, "Hey, Tim, how are you?" Uh-huh. And I walk was like, "Who's Tim Schafer?" He's like, "We oh, made Monkey Island." He's like, "Oh, okay, oh, hey, that's Tim Schafer, <laughs> right?" Okay, thanks. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, because I di- I came to the game industry late, right? I yeah. didn't play a lot of games. I played them very casually, so you know I don't know the history I don't know the people you know mm-hmm. and so to me it's like meeting everyone for the first time it's like yeah okay nice to meet you and now
5: people are going to be coming up to you it's like, it's like player unknown is not a mythological <laughs> <person>. <laughs> well, no,
6: actual human being I get some people and they come up and they're, they're physically shaking when they're taking a picture with me and it's no, like no. Cal- oh yeah it's like calm down it's okay you know I don't bite except on <laughs> Mondays, we we'll just uh, take out a frank. <laughs> 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 someday uh,
2: uh, so Brendan what can you learn from coming to GDC
6: Oh, for uh, lots! I know so little. I'm so new to the industry that there's so much of the tech and and you know the the theory and stuff. Like my game design is so far away from what they teach people to or how to design games. Like when we were first designing battle royale in the co- or in um, with for PUBG. You know, I sat down with the designers and I was telling them a lot of the systems I wanted, and say, "But that's not how we design games." You know, like it, it's you're going against how. Games should be designed. So, me coming here is learning kind of some of the rules just so I know how to break them, right? So, mm-hmm. it's, but it's great. There's so many great talks on, and, and, and you know, discovering the new tech and the new ways to do things is very exciting for me. Great.
1: Well, thank you both so much sure. for coming on the
6: show today. Thank you for having us. And, oh,
1: thank you. And, you know, have a yeah. great week. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome back to One Life Left Cross GDC. GDC 2018, it's the Tuesday, and this is our final segment of the show, our final guest. It's raining outside as well. It is
2: raining incredibly hard. San Francisco (laughs) is giving us a show, a right show. (laughs) It's basically telling us, go indoors, look at all of those video games that are on the expo floor, Mm -hmm. um, or just come to a hotel room and chat to some friends
1: chat to some exceptional guests. Yes. We've had
9: six brilliant guests so far, I'm sure. The next two will be no different. Please, can you introduce yourself? Uh... I'm uh, Ben Myers, uh, run, a co-founder of a small South African game studio in Yamakop, and also used to be program manager of a games and playful media festival in South Africa, uh, Amaze Janice.
10: And I'm Tammy DePlantis. I'm a game developer, composer, sound artist, um, and I I make a lot of experimental, glitchy sound art games on Game Boys. Um, yeah, and I perform as Tambalaya. Jambalaya, but with T. Ah, very good. <laughs> uh, can you tell
1: us a little bit more about what a sound art game is?
10: Well, I mean, when I, when I say sound art game, it's mainly a game that's using music and sound creation as its primary mechanic. Okay. Um, and I just say sound art games just because... For the fact that my games tend to be seen both in game context and also in like the like sound art world, so they've been in like art galleries. Wow. So that,
1: are they are they generative pieces? Are they are you creating something as you play the game?
10: Yes. Yes. Every every game that I've made involves the player like impro- improvising and generating sound on the Game Boy. Um, as opposed to something like LSDJ, which is a really wonderful mm-hmm. like, piece of software, but it's, it's very um, pre-composed. You know, you go in and you, you uh, compose music for it, and then you press play later. Um, this year, you're improvising on the gameplay and Rob, making sounds with
1: and it. does uh is the thing that comes out of the end is it better than the work that I will produce on LSDJ because mine is terrible <laughs> like is your is your software the secret to me being good at music yes i mean
10: <laughs> i mean it might be when i when i when i make my games uh, i try to make them so that someone with no musical experience can play them and find something interesting and fun to make With And my hope is that if people play that and, you know, find something interesting and fun with that sound, Mm -hmm. it encourages them to go to, you know, other instruments or other software like LSDJ and take that um, that playful musical spirit along with them and help them make more... I think
1: if I ever made something good, I would be encouraged to go, I've done it now, let's not push it. (laughs) Let's walk away. Like, we can be... Positive about it,
9: Uh, Ben. You're uh, talking at the conference. Yeah, we uh, spoke uh, yesterday afternoon. Very bizarre, strange talk. It was like (laughs) about emails. And uh, somehow people were actually laughing most of the way through the talk, okay. so you managed to make it quite enjoyable. Laughing with you, honestly. Well, <laughs> well, it's always hard to tell. It's hard to tell. It's, I have a button, so it's always like 50-50. Um, okay. People laugh at it a lot. So, what was but, the what uh, was aside. the sort of like uh, pitch? For- yeah, so the pitch is kind of like weird, bizarrely weird emails that actually worked in getting people's attention. Like we had like uh, press releases that were written in meows to like people <laughs> at, and the Google Play editorial team and stuff mm. like that, uh, and like really bizarre stuff like they needed to get their app store update approved so they emailed tim cook directly and got a phone call from his assistant and then a few hours later it was approved so it was like weird things we were basically teaching people how to like email better and more efficiently and also like try weird stuff it was a very strange talk
1: so here's a question yeah. for for that sort of strategy to work it has to kind of be a unique attack on those yeah. lines right
9: yeah which means it works once yeah, so we kind of the two things we talk. We did like some really basic stuff, like just write a short talk, use images, and then we also showed some like really weird and wonderful stuff that worked. Okay. Um, we kind of thought of it as like the first experimental email workshop, like <laughs> exploring the fringes of email. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like a box of weird uh, advanced techniques for you to try with emailing. My personal goal is to turn journalists' inboxes into like the Las Vegas Strip, like just like gimmicks everywhere. It's beautiful. I want to ruin email for everyone. That's the end goal. <laughs>
1: (laughs) I mean, it's a a genuine problem, though, because you have, uh, I mean, we have uh, the radio show back in London, which means my One Life Left inbox has about 32,000 unread emails, so uh, to a point it almost... The problem happens before the email arrives.
9: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's, like, some journal, uh, developers told us you just have to, and uh, and journalists said basically you just have to make an interesting game. Like, that's mm. one way wow. to get your email read, just make a ridiculous game. But then there's stuff like your subject line. Like, if you have an interesting subject mm. line or it's personalized, like one journalist said if you literally say hello as your subject line, she's more likely to read that because it's like a personalized thing. Uh, 100%. So it's like a lot of gimmicks like that, but it's about your your subject line standing out from the thirty-four thousand, you know, like that's the first thing. If you can get that to work, then move on to the content. So that's what the whole talk is about pretty we much all these really, problems. We have
1: really, really good relationship with uh, Ten Tons, who are a tiny Finnish studio. Mm. Just because their PR, I'm not sure if he listens to the show. I wouldn't blame <laughs> him if he didn't, but at least recognises that we're a radio show. We can tell if something's generic if they yeah. say. We've got some screenshots
9: attached, and we're like, <laughs> "Yeah,
2: That's not that. well, yeah, yeah, yeah." Could you feature us on your website? No, not really, <laughs> it's not
1: that kind of thing.
9: It's a thirty-minute pre-recorded interview, audio mm. interview. Is that what they send you
1: If they did, then we'd think, "Oh, they do recognise this audio." <laughs> it's it's even a stage before that. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs>
9: not a visual medium
2: uh, Tammy, for reasons you're uh, doing a panel at gdc
10: yes i actually just came from that panel oh how'd it, it go uh it went well
2: <laughs> yeah what was it about
10: um well it was about alternative paths in indie dev so it was myself and five other developers let's see natalie lawhead tj hughes kaho abe robin Baumgarten, and heather flowers robinson Robert, robertson um and we've all kind of taken different paths, different, like, paths outside of, I guess, the traditional means of making a name for yourself in, in indie dev. So, for example, mine is making strange experimental sound art Game Boy games, which isn't something a whole lot of people are doing. Um, and just talking about our experiences, you know, our experiences going through our own, like, individual paths. Um, yeah. And it, it went really well. Were there any sort of general lessons from that? Because it sounds like you've
1: got six panelists there who have very, very different experiences, different paths. Mm-hmm. But were there any themes?
10: Um, well, as far as themes, I think everybody said something to something to the degree of you know you need to find your your own path, and by finding your own path, you need to kind of find your own your own goals. Um, I could have said it explicitly, but I felt it in the other talks too Mm -hmm. so like for for my work my uh my goals are to express myself artistically and to help other people express themselves and you know as long as i am fulfilling one of those uh goals you know i can either do it by making my games and putting them out there and having other people play them or performing them myself for other people you know in like a musical context or uh you know different day jobs like uh you know helping someone else with their game or like teaching piano mm-hmm. like all of these things to me are part of my goals and i feel like everyone in that talk had their own goals that they were reaching towards that helped them find their unique path okay that's
1: that's super interesting it definitely speaks to something that i uh, have tried to construct my life around is it's like do the things that you enjoy and find some way of getting paid to do that but obviously the paid part is it's not always the easy part, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um,
10: you are right about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I also think it's to do with um, figuring out what your own uh, guides for success are. Because if you're looking at what everyone else is doing and you're trying to reach their their levels for success, then you're going to fail because, mm-hmm. you know, you aren't them. You don't have their skill set. So it, 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 do you feel like that's part of it? It's, it's looking for your own points for success?
10: Yes, I think so. Yeah, because um, for me... You know, I've kind of taken a roundabout way into games. Uh, in case you can't tell from the fact that I make sound art <laughs> games, like I started off in in kind of the art world, and I'm, I still have kind of one foot in there. But you know, as I was working on things and as I was making this art and finding ways to present it to people, it just happened that uh, video games seemed like a more natural fit for what I was making, and that that uh, experimental indie circle. And chiptune artists, a lot of chiptune people like my work because, hey, you're making sound on Game Boys. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, having your, your goals and then finding the things out there already that suit those goals. Mm. Mm. Ben,
2: what was your path into games?
10: Um, it was quite, it was quite traditional,
9: I guess, in some ways. I did a I did the first sort of real game design course in Africa. Um, it was the first year of a game design course at a university in South Africa, and I did that for four years. And then our external examiner on our final year project was this, you know, like AAA developer. He was like a tech artist on uh, the Uncharted and the Last of Us games, and he saw this prototype you were making and was like, "This is really good. You should make this into a commercial game." So. We kind of started doing that on, in in our spare time, and we've been basically working on it since then. Um, yeah, and we kind of got lucky, I guess. We found someone to invest some money in the game, and then we also found a publisher. And now we're kind of just, you know, showing the game and getting ready to release our game. But in general, I think uh, making games in South Africa and Africa in general is like, yeah, it's way. It's like kind of the similar thing uh, Tammy was talking about. Like you have to come at it a completely different way because. It's really hard to meet people uh, that help you. Like, if you make a game in South Africa, like no one from IGN or Kotaku is probably ever going to see it because mm-hmm. you're never going to go to a show or anything like that. So it's very similar to what uh, Tammy was talking about. It's like you have to come at things really different ways and like you know, be hustling and all the time <laughs> to tell, try and make a work. Your game. Uh, yeah, so it's a, um, a puzzle platformer where the world is made of Play-Doh. That's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. And we cheekily like to say it's the first real platformer, because everything else before it has just been a running and jumping on platformer. But our game, you can actually morph and shape uh, and distort the platforms themselves. So I, for example, if you can't reach a collectible or something, you could literally raise the ground up beneath it so that your little avatar has a higher platform to jump off and reach it. So mm-hmm. it like, really makes you think laterally about all the conventions in the genre. And
1: how are you going to uh, tailor emails to the Play-Doh theme (laughs) to attract attention?
9: Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so one of the things I actually do is like genuine personalization with people, which is what they always say. Like this one IGN UK journalist wrote this review of Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Rock Clock app, which is an (laughs) app he released uh, to make you wake up at the same time as him every day, at 5 a.m. every morning. So I went up to him at E3. I was like, wow, didn't you write a review of that app? And he was like that's bizarre that someone remembered that but yes I did and then he didn't write about the game at that point but a few months later he remembered us in the game and he wrote about the game so yeah it's a mix of talking about the game and pitching it like ridiculous things like Play-Doh Play-Doh platformer the first real platformer just like really ridiculous things and then genuine personalization, pretty much
1: fantastic Fantastic. well thank you both so much for coming on the show Uh, we'll see you around the conference
9: yeah
10: thank you And we're
1: back, and we're nearly done. Uh, this is one life left. XGDC, Chris Graff from Gamma Sutra. He's left.
2: Uh, uh, he he had to go. He's, he had some other things to do. Our guest busy the man. room.
1: Uh, and so we're back to playing Mario Kart.
2: Yeah, this is I, what we do when other people aren't around. Do you know
1: what? I think I probably could do this at the same time as interview people. Oh, but I, I also think couldn't. it's a bit rude. Yeah, but you're like sorry so tell me a bit about your game and then go to just staring at the screen
2: yes uh, I don't feel
1: like a mirror to you either. no
2: of course not we had some fantastic guests Such on a today show. a very a good and a very mixed load of people talking about very very different things which I think speaks well to the conference itself it's um, been
1: a good good start well yesterday was a good start this was a good uh, second show
2: yeah Uh, It's going to be great. And we look forward to having all of you join us as well. And we will see you.
9: Bye.